Just a quick disclaimer before we begin. This segment is not intended to harm anyone's religious sentiments, nor offend any members of the queer community. All this information is just based on stuff that we've read about, and we do try to be as respectful as possible. But if you still feel misrepresented, that's understandable, and we do take constructive criticism, so your feedback is valued. Thank you for understanding. Hello and welcome to We Read This Last Night, a show where we talk about stuff that we only have surface level knowledge on, but we essentially just read about it last night. And our topic for today is homosexuality and Indian mythology. Homosexuality and religion, no other relationship is as volatile, as tumultuous, and as annoying, except, I don't know, like Ross and Rachel or something. Did you appreciate the reference to the American sitcom Friends? Uh, I did, in fact, appreciate the uh, reference to the American sitcom Friends. But do you know what's common between Friends and the Ramayana? Uh, both of their fan bases are annoying as fuck. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that's not it. Uh, the correct answer is lesbian representation. <laughs> that's such a fuck. That's such a weird... Um, it is a weird parallel, but... Yeah, that, that's such a weird segue. Yeah, but Friends has... Uh, like, Friends is the first show to have a lesbian wedding. Because, you know, like, Ross... Uh, he, he marries thrice. And he marries thrice. Like, that's that's the running gag. But yeah, his, yeah. his first wife turns out to be a lesbian. And then he's kind of accepting of it, so... Her her wedding is the first lesbian wedding on TV, so that's cool. Yeah, but the woman and woman story in the Ramayana is like, um, there's this king called King Dilipa, and he is childless and he has two wives. So he goes to this guru, sadhu, whatever, and he gives him this potion. He's like, drink this, and then make love to your wives, and you shall have a son. And he's like, okay. And then he goes, and just before he's about to, like, you know, get on with it, he dies. And then uh, the potion is left behind, and then his wives, in their desperation, they don't know what to do. But they want to, like, further his seed or whatever. <laughs> so they just fought. Yeah, they, they drank the potion instead. And uh, they slept together. And then the chi- like the ensuing child that was born was born without... Bones. That was Bhagirath, the famous like king in Hindu mythology. What the fuck? It's, it's not funny. Like it's 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 kind of pure, you know, and it's wholesome. No, but think about this realistically. You're about to ban two of your wives, and then you die, and then they just go ahead without you. Yeah, death cocked him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you know about this and I don't? I'm a Hindu. Because to so raha hai. <laughs> yeah, but coming back to the topic at hand. Yeah. Uh, uh, homosexuality in Indian mythology. So, um, uh, if we take a look at uh, homosexuality in Hinduism, uh, you know, Hinduism as a whole, as a religion, not in the stories of Hinduism. Um, 
Hinduism doesn't have a single institution that governs all the laws. You know, like it doesn't have the Catholic Church or anything, which dictates its stance on any particular issue. So, um, the way that it is viewed by the Hindus ranges from temple to temple or community to community, and so a lot of the uh, temples support. Uh, I don't know the queer community. but um a lot of them don't uh and <clears throat> unlike judaism and uh, you know christianity islam all these abrahamic religions which focus on the actions of a single lifetime that there is a single lifetime and all your actions in this dictate the afterlife mm-hmm. or whatever uh hinduism pretty much centers on uh the process of birth and rebirth and then you know moksha all that stuff yeah yeah so uh moksha it includes a release from sensual experiences including sexuality but um hindu sacred texts do not distinguish between heterosexual and homosexual acts it's just sex uh, sexual acts yeah 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 and uh, like there aren't even separate words for heterosexual and homosexual acts in hindu sacred texts but they do distinguish on the basis of uh, you know whether it's procreative or not so procreative sexual acts are just uh, you know uh, i don't know penetrative penis vaginal sex within a marriage but um non procreative sexual acts includes oral and you know all the fun stuff so that is discouraged like the non procreative stuff is discouraged not for the common man but like brahmans and priests and stuff like that and uh, the vedas refer to a third sex roughly defined as people for whom sex is not procreative is that napunsak uh, i guess so like if yeah we don't it in hindi Naponsak is is uh it has become a slur in a way, like a lot of the terms that we are going to be using today are very controversial because like yeah uh, they've become slurs as time has passed. Yeah, they had no offensive connotation as such when they were originally like in their original mm-hmm. inception, but they've evolved into slurs now, and that's just sad. Yeah, so in Sanskrit we have three lengths, which is like the pulling male. uh strilling female and the naponsak lang which is like inanimate or uh, you know something which does not come under either pulling or strilling right. like like the word mitra is naponsak lang because it could be of either gender yeah yeah but then people still use saheli for female for some reason yeah but that's in hindi right i'm talking about sanskrit acha modi gender neutral queen <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah so the third sex in the Vedas includes anyone for whom sex is not procreative so it could be a homosexual person it could be an asexual person it could be an important person and members of the third sex were not ostracized but they were in fact recognized as having divine powers or insights and uh, the kama sutra which is obviously the hindu text which deals with uh, you know sexuality and stuff like that yeah people are like oh kama sutra haha sex book like all around mm-hmm. the world it has that reputation but it actually has much more than that like 
only a small part of it. I think only like one chapter is devoted to sexual practices, but the rest is just like how to live your life and stuff like that. But yeah, it yeah. just gained this reputation. But even in the part which does discuss sexual stuff, it does it with surprising permissiveness. Like there's um men performing oral acts on men. There's uh you know sexual relations with the same gender. Like it, it it's really inclusive if you actually read it. Yeah. So uh. like it states that same sex experience is to be engaged in and enjoyed for its own sake as one of the arts so it's encouraged yeah sure yeah and um the gain lesbian vaishnava association highlights in its report homosexuality hinduism and the third gender that um like it highlights the gender fluidity of various hindu deities and uh, it talks about how everything in this world is a reflection of the original subtle and spiritual reality so you know it's homosexuality is nothing new it's been happening since ancient times and it's been it happens in a lot of species of animals like over 100 species of animals perform in homosexual acts but humans are the only ones who are homophobic Yeah, 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 yeah. I've heard that somewhere. And also, when it comes to the stances of uh, Hindus who are against homosexuality, it just doesn't justify it, because you know, as you said, Hindu scriptures are really inclusive of LGBTQ folks, and you know, people just tend to view India as this conservative country with like conservative views in regards to sexual orientation. but if you look back at indian history it doesn't reflect the same image in fact do you know how the whole uh, stigma against gay people started in india uh with the colonizers i'm assuming yeah with the british like the british creep up again fucking hell it's always yeah. them like yeah, even they are the ones who established section 377 yeah exactly like that law which most people are like you know it protects indian values bro they're not even indian values in the first mm-hmm. place yeah because see it's like even now marriage between people of the same sex in india is not permitted yeah it's only like you know uh, it's gay like stuff only, but not gay marriage the, only the relationship is legalized but they aren't allowed to have a family because you know uh, in according to the court in indian culture a family is supposed to be a unit consisting of a man a woman and their kids but according to the puranas and stuff gay men weren't allowed to marry women mhm yeah i read somewhere and it makes a lot of sense that the definition of marriage now has just become involving the state into your relationship that's what marriage is essentially yeah um this is a slight uh side note but like what kind of psychopath came up with the concept of marriage i yeah. love you, I, i love you so much i'm going to get the government involved so you can't run away <laughs> even the definition of marriage is like weird like one man and one woman like you know what if uh someone is intersex they have mm-hmm. different genitalia What yeah. what about them? Does that invalidate their marriage? It's yeah, not even like you can't you can't even use the conservative argument that you know it's all in your head. 
अगेन not a slur to live openly according to their gender identity so all of this was legal and accepted until the british came and now the west has uh, come to terms with homosexuality and india is yet to come to terms with that yeah the west came with all its puritan values and you know they had proper like sodomy laws and stuff that mm-hmm. much of the rest of the world hadn't even heard of and they imposed it upon wherever they went and when they left and when they themselves decriminalized it like uh england did it in like 66 67 i don't remember the exact year but the other countries are still reeling from uh the consequences of their acts yeah yeah precisely yeah and uh like this is something i read somewhere and it makes a lot of sense according to me when india is abolishing laws like section 377 or you know amending laws like that india is not westernizing it's decolonizing yeah exactly people are like you know all this is western propaganda like no it's the opposite of that yeah according to dharm shastras marriage has distinct functions including praja or procreation some therefore view same sex marriage as unacceptable however it is also clear that dharm shastras are guides not binding texts so you don't have to follow them in their entirety they're just suggestions on how to live yeah they just say like, hey bro you know do this it's only yeah. you have to do this yeah and there are multiple ways to define or interpret the idea of praja or procreation so today marriage equality in, is enjoyed among hindu americans and same sex hindu marriage are celebrated in the united states by hindu priests so like it's not that hinduism forbids it because hindus are getting married hindu same sex couples are getting married but they can't do it in india yeah even from a philosophical uh, standpoint like uh, according to like hen- more more of hindu uh, you know metaphysical stuff like mm-hmm. the brahman is eternal and all of mm. that and nothing that exists is unnatural you know like there exists both deities there exists demons and the cosmos is infinite and there wouldn't have been anything intended by nature that was you know against the laws like everything mm-hmm. abides by nature so yeah. they can nothing be that they can they can't be anything unnatural as such yeah like I, if uh... if if being uh of different sexual orientation was unnatural then why would it exist in the first place you know and that sounds like a very childish idealistic argument but it still makes sense if you think about it yeah i was reading this book called god is not great by christopher hitchens 
and so his uh, teacher in the third or fourth grade told him that you know uh, questioning god is a sin and like god makes everything all that you know stuff that all of us have heard during our childhood and this guy replied with then you're going against god by making me question the thoughts that i'm having because god made me have these thoughts yeah literally if if god wouldn't have wanted that why would he give you those thoughts in the first place yeah precisely yeah a lot of like religious people values directly go against god and that's funny yeah because it's just they take the stuff which is in their favor and they pass it off as gospel yeah like even in christianity do you really think jesus would have been against same sex couples like no, jesus no. the most compassionate human to ever have existed usse khud putchi mili you mean from like judas yeah that was a sign of betrayal but like sure i guess yeah but then she she must have said no homo yeah let's hope you did i mean i'm not implying anything about jesus's preferences as such but why else do you think he died unmarried at 30 and had 13 men following him at all times uh coming back to the topic at hand <laughs> um yeah so um uh although hindu texts mostly dharma shastras such as manusmriti vide athri smriti vide bodhyayan dharma sutra and vide apastambha dharma sutra treat homosexuality as a sin in most cases in most cases uh, legally punishable a number of hindu texts have portrayed homosexuality as a joyful possible expression of human sexuality and uh, the kama sutra affirms and recognizes same sex relations and there are several hindu temples which have carvings that depict both men and women engaging in homosexual acts there yeah are... the temples again like sexuality was something that was that wasn't really impure like you know tantric st- sex and stuff like that mm-hmm. like releasing tantric... sexual energy honestly tantric sex scares me it is scary like from that viewpoint but like if you think about it it's at least it has like positive attitudes about sex you know that it's it's yeah, yeah. an expression of yourself and all of that and mm-hmm. even the temples like the temples are so cool like which other ancient culture do you think uh has dongs on its wall ha- has dongs on its wall but also like like which other ancient culture do you think has unabashedly portrayed their sexuality without any shame Yeah, it wasn't like some creepy people just sculpting these things to jack off to. It was actually an expression, an artistic expression. So solely not for that. Yeah, probably. Um, but yeah, I think the reason why uh, sexuality is such an integral part of Hinduism is because Hinduism wasn't intended to be a religion in the first place. It was just a way of living life. you know among the people who live near the indus river and so whether you accept it or not sexual desire is an important part of human life because biologically all animals want to reproduce and you know uh, continue their lineage or stuff so mm-hmm. uh, yeah it's an important part of it and uh, like the vedas and stuff aren't 
exactly dealing with god so like they don't have to be puritans they talk about how people in that region live their lives and that included sexual activity sure yeah and since it's just a way of living your life it isn't like you're binded by the words of god and that's why uh, scriptures like the manusmriti aren't you know they aren't binding they're just suggestions on how to live your life yeah it's kind of like islam so in islam if you look at the quran in particular it doesn't really mention homosexuality that much the only one explicit incident uh, is the story of lot like the story of lot is in the bible as well in islam he's called lot so uh, he goes to the people of sodom and gomorrah and that's where the word sodom comes from by the way because sodom oh oh yeah yeah that's why so um the people of sodom and gomorrah are known for living very uh, decadent and extravagant lifestyles and the main point of focus is that they engage in homosexuality like uh, gay men engage in gay sex so uh, god tells lot to uh, lot or lot however uh, to go to, the, to these people and teach them the ways and you know bring them back to the path and then he mm-hmm. does but you know the people of Sodom and Gomorrah chose to choose to ignore him so god decides to rain down his fury on the town like in the bible there's like a sulfur or like fire or something and in islam it's dropping stones of hardened clay to kill all the people but yeah anyway god unleashes his wrath and destroys the entire town and some people view this as you know an explicit mention that homosexuality is equal to death but there's some other people who say that like suppose it wasn't just them engaging engaging in gay activities like there was the main reason was also that they were committing other vile forms of sexual misconduct like, yeah, like they would like bestiality bestiality probably and they would like rape travelers and stuff so that violates uh, hospitality laws i mean c- clearly it does don't rape your visitors and devo bhava <laughs> But yeah, they would do that, and they just committed a lot of other sinful activities. So just saying that the people of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed for solely engaging in sodomy wouldn't exactly be right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but like um, I don't know, Islam is portrayed as having very clear-cut uh, conservative views on. the lgbtq community yeah so the conservative views again like you know how you talked about hinduism and the manusmriti mm-hmm. those views come from the hadith the hadith are like uh they're like discourses written by disciples of muhammad like yeah, so it's it's just fan fiction <laughs> pretty much yeah it's like it's not canon it's like the ghost child in harry mm-hmm. potter but yeah um you know how socrates he said stuff but he never wrote it down so his disciple like plato wrote it for him yeah and even though like there were some people who believed in extreme punishments like death for homosexuality like historically there wasn't much like persecution like it was still okay and by okay i don't really mean it was okay but it was it was definitely discouraged but you know not something that was a huge source of concern like it happened mm-hmm. and people frowned upon it but they weren't that invested in it and in uh, islamic countries like relationships between older men with younger boys were common they still are in like some parts of afghanistan and stuff 
And I'm not saying that's a good thing just to justify Average homosexuality. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not saying it's a good thing to justify homosexuality. It's obviously vile and non-consensual in most cases. But mm-hmm. the point is that it wasn't really that big of a problem Dude, until guess who cannot, arrived. A child cannot consent. It's not like it's not like it's uh, you know non-consensual in most cases. If the person is a minor, then it's non-consensual in all cases. Yeah, obviously not. That's a different ballpark entirely. But my main point is that they didn't really give that much of a shit about it, unless guess who arrived? Who? The British again. <laughs> yeah, I'm not kidding. Like, uh, a lot of Muslim countries were now either under British influence or directly colonized by the British. Like, you know, even like mm-hmm, UAE yeah. and all of those places. So again, Puritan values got exchanged and adding to that, some uh, extremist schools of Islamic thought came into existence like Wahhabism, Wahhabism and Salafism. And they had very radical views on homosexuality. Like they, they advocate for the death penalty and stuff. So yeah, that happened. And that has shaped the current view that Islam has of homosexuality, the current intolerance. Yeah, again, uh, religion isn't inherently bad, but like religion in its modern practice is definitely not ideal. Okay, but on the bright side, uh, you know, Iran actually allows for gender reassignment surgery. I mean, that's that should be the bare minimum, but it's, it's yeah, but for a hardline Islamic to... country, it's mm, it's pretty cool, I guess. Yeah, it's it's honestly kind of sad that you have to applaud them for doing that, but still, kudos to them. The I person guess. we truly have to applaud though is uh, Maryam Khatun Malkara. She was an Iranian trans rights activist. Like, she was originally sent into exile because she was trans and she was forcibly injected with male hormones, which is horrible, horrible. But then yeah. she came back uh, due to some connections. And then she met with the supreme leader at the time, like uh, Imam Khomeini. And she talked to him, and after Khomeini reflected, he issued this fatwa, which finally allowed for gender reassignment surgery. And in fact, uh, it's even compulsory that if you are trans, uh, it's obligatory for you to undergo surgery. And yeah, like I don't know that. I think their point of view must be that you need to fit into the binary. Like you either need to be, yeah, I mean physically and emotionally. Uh, of, like from their point of view, I'm not justifying it, but like I'm yeah, I guess so. Like you'd rather be a woman than go around cross-dressing. I understand, but mm-hmm. it's still it's still a pretty cool fact. Also, the fact that Iran has the second highest number of gender reassignment surgeries after Thailand. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, most people wouldn't associate Iran with that, but it's it's a cool fact. Yeah, but just the fact that this trans woman living in a hardline Islamic country, had the balls, or rather in this case, the ovaries. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. That was supposed to be poetic and badass. But yeah, to actually advocate for something frowned upon by so many Muslims and win against the Supreme Leader is just a very cool story that I think more people should know about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you take a look at homosexuality, it was pretty much outlawed and uh, frowned upon in the Holy Scriptures, but then in the uh in practice 
it was uh, common in a way like it wasn't very common but then uh, you know with sufi saints and stuff there yeah i mean also of... smoking is so common among muslims like i've seen mm-hmm. so many muslims smoke but yeah tobacco is literally haram Hookahs so you know are de- like they're literally uh, you know middle eastern yeah there is staple of arabian culture so if like mm-hmm. stuff like that can be excused i don't understand why homosexuality cannot yeah and there there are so many homoerotic themes in sufi poetry yeah sufi poetry is gay as fuck <laughs> yeah like um uh, a prominent sufi saint shah hussein is believed to have fallen in love with a hindu boy madhulal they're <laughs> they're buried together in lahore and they That's have so been re- referred together as like they've been referred to as one name madhulal hussein and the two symbolize symbolize uh, that sounds like gurmeet ram rahim singh and sanji <laughs> the two symbolize a defined love uh, like bulesha in shah hussein to here is uh, addressing ransa like there's this other sufi saint called bulesha and in his poetry uh, here is referring ransa there the Indian equivalent of uh, Romeo and Juliet. So oh. we, yeah, Shah Hussein wrote Madhulal poetry from the point of view of he writing it to Ranja. That's wholesome. Yeah, it is, but it was obviously pretty controversial. Yeah, talking about like Persians and poetry and stuff, like uh, even when Muslims invaded India. like i'm not going to glorify it and say that the status of ho- openness to homosexuality remained the same it obviously didn't but you know there were some cases in which uh, like uh, for example babar do you know babar's first crush was a guy what yeah it's actually true and it's not even like historical speculation he himself admits to it in his autobiography the babar nama which is really funny by the way like it's a really Bye-bye. cool book babar <laughs> yeah but uh so according to the story babar as a child like in his military camp he was infatuated with this guy called wait for it babari no it's it's true it's babar fell in love with babari and he also wrote poetry for him so the story basically according to the babar nama is that he was at this military camp and he saw this boy and he immediately became infatuated with him and then he wrote poetry for, for him and stuff like in the babar nama he says nor power to stay was mine nor strength to part i became what you made of me o thief of my heart that's that's beautiful dude and like people tend to malign babar's image uh, because of this like you know because of the bab- babri masjid thing obviously mm-hmm. yeah the, the black spot on babar's legacy which is kind of sad because he was a cool dude but yeah because of that some people were like are babar wo to gay tha <laughs> why does his masjid matter <laughs> i don't know like you don't think about babar much when you think about the moguls even though he was like the first one yeah babar was the coolest like who else would openly admit to something like this in such a place and time in his own autobiography like he did and some people like to say that oh you know uh he didn't like love him like that 
it was just an overt expression of friendship him and babari were just friends like no who the fuck writes poetry like that for just a friend why haven't you written me poetry like that uh m- moving on <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, historians generally tend to do this like if throughout history uh, two men or two women are like clearly unabashedly gay they be like oh they were best friends like you know alexander and hephaestus alexander hamilton uh, alexander the great um mozart i don't um, know about mozart except the fact that he liked to shut a lot abraham lincoln yeah abraham lincoln lived with this dude for like they had a living thing yeah, they were like oh best letters friends. under the floorboards dude they found what they found letters under the fo- uh, floorboards yeah no one does such sexy shit like poetry and letters and stuff for someone that no one no one does it like we are gay for the homies but you know we we don't even we don't do stuff like this yeah unless you say no homo yeah then that's okay yeah but uh coming back to the topic at hands <laughs> uh yeah even uh uh alaudin khilji and like his servant uh his general malik yeah Kafur. malik kafur even they were like oh best buddies they like no bro <laughs> they literally made out all of us know <laughs> you can you can sense the sexual tension between them during the movie like there's this one scene where kelly is like i don't care how much i get it's not enough unless i get what i want or something like that and then uh, malik kafur is like ha main aapke sath kitne bhi time reh lo padmavati nahi ban sakta or something like that that's cute yeah, yeah like, it's also sad yeah like during the end of his life um allowing till he was extremely distrustful of like everyone so he fired basically everyone and throughout the whole period only malik kafur was by his side and only their emotional bond remained wholesome yeah wholesome anyway coming back to hinduism there are so many stories involving homosexuality in indian mythology you know involving deities and stuff and that's probably what someone who clicks on this episode is expecting to hear so uh, let's dive into that yeah sure first of all obviously mohini do you know who mohini is yeah sure uh, vishnu's female avatar yeah so uh speaking of queer themes this shows like uh gender fluidity like gender adaptability yeah vishnu that, wasn't afraid to take the form of a woman yeah that you know it's it's not uh when you're trying to save the world you don't necessarily need to be masculine sometimes you require femininity oh yeah sure yeah Yeah. So, also yeah. another story about Mohini like um in the Mahabharata uh, when the battle is going on like the battle of Mahabharata obviously mm-hmm. Kurukshetra yeah yeah yeah, yeah. so uh, Arjun has a son called Aravan and Aravan is prophesized to sacrifice his life for the victory of the Pandavas and he's willing to do so but uh, Aravan isn't married and he's a virgin So he's like if I'm going to die in this you know I might as well go out of the bang and quite literally quite literally yeah and uh, but no female is willing to marry him and sleep with him because obviously he's going to die in a few days and Average no one Jay aspirant <laughs> What the fuck 
yeah no one wants to sleep with him because he's going to die in a few days anyway so he's dejected but then krishna who's also a form of vishnu offers to transform into mohini and he does and mohini actually marries him and their marriage is consummated and uh, perhaps the best part is that even after aravan dies uh, krishna in mohini's form observes like all the rituals that a widow does yeah and uh, aravan is like the i don't know he is the deity for the uh, intersex community is he yeah probably yeah, he is he is there's so much stuff involving mohini like everyone is such a creep when they're around her yeah even shiv was infatuated with her at some point yeah. and <clears throat> it's it's horrible dude like uh, there's this thing where he gets attracted to mohini when he knows that it's vishnu and uh, <laughs> shiv basically chases mohini around uh the entire cosmos and uh, like he hugs mohini and then um he spills his semen on down cosmically he spills his semen on the rocks which turn into gold wow he, uh stories in which shiv knows mohini's true nature have been interpreted to suggest the fluidity of gender in sexual attraction that's pretty cool that's like bromance in the godly level yeah and uh, it's it's honestly not that wholesome because in the brahman puran uh, shiv's wife parvati hangs her head in shame when she sees her husband's pursuit of mohini and uh, in some stories shiv asks vishnu to take on the form of mohini so that he can see the transformation for himself and in a later puranic story of the origin of god ayappa Vishnu as Mohini becomes pregnant from Shiva and gives birth to Ayappa who she abandons in shame and uh Patnaik Devdat Patnaik probably he is a really famous Hindu writer yeah yeah uh he writes that uh Mohini becomes that rather than Mohini becoming pregnant Ayappa sprang from Shiva's semen which he ejaculated upon embracing Mohini down cosmically again Yeah, it's still it's still a cool story though. Like, I don't know. Yeah, uh, but many scholars say that two men cannot give birth to child. Only male and female can give birth to child. But Mohini was quite literally biologically female as well, wasn't she? Yeah, I'm assuming. Yeah, but uh, who knows? You know, when Vishnu takes an avatar, he goes all in, dude. Like. you take a look at any of his avatars so he he goes all in like he spares no expense yeah he there's immense pre- precision to detail even like as krishna like uh, you can see vishnu's like kind of fluidity like there's one part where um, there's a famous story where krishna and radha they exchange their outfits and you mm-hmm. know they they still look the same like it's it's a pretty cool story it's supposed to symbolize uh, the union of two souls that no one can tell them apart after they've united but you know it is essentially krishna wearing a woman's clothes so the this might sound crude have prosecuted him for that yeah literally it it might sound crude and offensive maybe but there's no way there's no simpler way to put it he basically cross dressed yeah 
and uh, it's not just uh, him taking on uh, you know not just krishna and uh, radha radha yeah yeah and it's not just uh, krishna and radha who have taken on a hermaphroditic form to express their love because shiv and parvati have done it before too when they become uh, arjuna rishwara which is like basically uh, created by merging the body of shiv and parvati and the right half of the body was male and the left half was female don't ask me how that works yeah but it's just so beautiful like the ultimate amalgamation of male and female like the perfect androgynous deity it's mm-hmm. yeah it's really nice and like the same thing plays in other cultures as well like even the word hermaphrodite it comes from um, the greek gods hermes and aphrodite aphrodite yeah mm-hmm. they had a child who was intersex like uh, it had both uh, male and female genitalia so it's not just you know hindu mythology get the stigma surrounding people who don't fit the binary heterosexual male heterosexual female is a very new thing because that didn't happen before they were accepted and they were given deities and you know it was all an integral part of every culture yeah even with the ancient greeks there was really no concept of sexual orientation like it, it wasn't that they were homophobic they just didn't believe in sexual orientation at all i mean obviously it was more of a power play thing so there's that like it was more like an active male and a passive male so you either fuck or get fucked that was it yeah and uh, you know how greek and roman culture are very um what's the word homoerotic uh, i was i was trying to say that they're very closely related but <laughs> yeah homoerotic too never mind um, but yeah they are have you seen their fucking sculptures like have you seen david by michelangelo it's yeah, so okay so, so, like who who could have drawn such a beautiful sculpture like such a perfect representation of masculine beauty if he didn't himself uh, you know like the idea of masculine beauty yeah yeah but um the point that i was coming to is that uh, julius caesar the roman guy um uh, he the roman he, guy <laughs> yeah he was apparently bisexual and he was an adulterer and so he was referred to as every woman's man and every man's woman wow that that's a pretty cool title actually because he was uh, passive with men and you know the top yeah i mean i him. said that the greeks and romans were open about sex but they still frowned upon like taking the Being passive the bottom, role yeah <laughs> yeah so so that's hard that happened in sparta too like it wasn't gay sex for you unless you were the one you know being plowed yeah yeah um <laughs> during one of caesar's triumphs his soldiers were singing men of rome watch your wives we're bringing the bald adulterer home in gaul he fucked his way through a fortune which he borrowed here in rome yeah i've i've heard this before and it's so funny like during triumphs they would literally sing whatever like no one cared it was the lewdest of songs yeah <laughs> uh coming back to stories from hindu mythology yeah i have one uh you know much shikhandi yeah yeah the the intersex person from the mahabharat yeah like till now we've talked about you know people with different sexual orientation in uh hindu mythology but there's actually someone who underwent a change in genitalia so like shikhandi was uh 
Borna Shikhandani, the daughter of Draupad, and um, she was prophesied to kill Bhishma. But then Draupad was like, wait, how? Because she's a woman and women can't enter the battlefield, let alone mm-hmm. kill such a person. But then they were like, don't worry about it, just... Uh, some people said Lord Ram told him to uh, raise her as a man instead and call her Shikhandi. And so he did. And he raised her as a male. And uh, eventually uh, Shikhandini married the princess of some place. And like when they were about to consummate their marriage, the princess noticed that she was actually, you know, a she. Yeah, and there was nothing to consummate with. Yeah, there was nothing to consummate with. And she got scared and she went and told her dad. So her dad was like, wait, let me confirm this. Yeah, and he sent his men to actually confirm whether Shikhandi was actually a man. And uh, Shikhandi, scared, ran away into the forest where she met a yaksha, which is some sort of a nature spirit or something. And uh, he offered to give her his uh, genitals in exchange. And so he did. And when the Yaksha returned back uh, to the king of Yakshas without a deck, uh, he got triggered and uh, the king uh, cursed him that he wouldn't get his uh, genitals back until Shikhandi was destroyed. So yeah, that's that. Yeah, and do you know how uh, Shikhandi went on to be of significance in the Mahabharat? How? Like there's this guy, Bhishma Pitama. Yeah, the one she was supposed to kill, right? Yeah, like he was uh, both the Pandav and the Kaurava's granddad or something like that. And so uh, he had this boon that he wouldn't die unless he wanted to die. Like he got to choose when he dies. So during the entire Mahabharat, he was like, uh, Krishna has to kill me. And Krishna was like, bro, what are you talking about? I'm just, you know, uh, whatever, driving the chariot. I'm not going to kill you. Because, uh, you know the whole thing, right? That both Duryodhan and Arjun went to meet Krishna. And so Krishna was like, one of you gets me, the other gets my army. And then Duryodhan was like, what the fuck am I going to do with you? If you're not going to fight, I'll just take your army instead. And so he was the driver for Arjun's chariot. And so he wasn't allowed to participate in the fight. And so Bhishma Pitama was like, I'll kill all of you if I have to, but I'm not going to die until Krishna kills me or whatever. And so that kept happening and they were like, please Marjana. And he was like, no, Krishna marega. But obviously Krishna didn't. And so one day Shikhandi shows up and Arjun hides behind Shikhandi. So... Bhishma sees that Shikhandi is half woman so he's like I can't raise my hand against a woman and so I'm just gonna stand here and then Arjun was just peeking from behind Shikhandi and shooting Bhishma Pitama Uh and then uh, he kind of made this nice bed of arrows for Pitama and like Pitama was basically lying on it for 58 days and then he's like okay you know what I'll just die that's the story that's it he just gave up (laughs) I don't know like there must be more to it but in its (laughs) essence that's it 
and speaking of the mahabharat there are other queer themes in the mahabharat like you know how they had to uh, go on an exile the pandavas had to go on an exile after losing their kingdom and all that stuff yeah 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 and then the last year of their exile had to be in hiding like they had to hide from uh, the yodhan spies and so what arjun did was that uh, he cross dressed he uh, pretended to be a woman for a year and he went to this kingdom and he uh, taught the princess how to dance that's pretty cool yeah in other stories um uh there was this nymph called urvashi who made amaris advances at arjun and arjun was like sorry my wife's right there and uh, so she caused him to become a kleba which was a member of the third gender and then krishna was like dude it's chill uh, it's going to be the perfect disguise for you and so arjun didn't really care and he took the name brihanala and dressed in women's clothes causing the curse to take effect wow yeah and then he did the you know the normal thing teaching dance and all that stuff <laughs> there's also bahushar mata the patron saint of the hejra community like uh she was a woman married to a king and this one day she caught her husband engaging in stuff besides a pool like in the woods and she caught him and she cursed for his penis to fall off and yeah the fact that she can cause changes in people's gender identity that makes her a trans icon i guess yeah and in another story she take like this guy attempts to rape her and so she takes his swords cuts her own breasts off and dies yeah that makes more sense actually i don't see how the first story could make her a trans icon yeah but then how does that make her a trans icon yeah i mean not really she just cursed her husband yeah but either way she is a patron goddess of it makes her a woman identity. icon like if you catch your husband cheating just chop his penis off i guess <laughs> i still don't get it but I yeah anyway <laughs> but yeah uh yeah i i watched a sadguru video as well about this <laughs> and he gave some more of the same opinion but the only difference is that he was like you know uh, the state shouldn't um, interfere with what people people do in their bedrooms and shit and like yeah that's mm-hmm. respectable and all but then he was like uh, gay people shouldn't promote it as well like okay bro <laughs> like that's the classic like you know it's 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 better than like outright rejection what would sadguru suggest you use if you talk to him about sex quantum mechanics <laughs> quantum <laughs> but yeah that's the classic indifferent response most people give when they want to appear accepting but not too liberal at the same time they'll be like yeah it's cool and all do it in your bedroom but don't promote it like what about it's not just about sexual stuff what about couples who want to get married what about couples who want to display their affection in a public kind of way you know it's it's not yeah. just about sex that's what most people need to realize mm-hmm. because like you can only fuck so much you know <laughs> after a point you have to maintain relationship how would you know sucker dad 
I went quiet literally. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back again next week.